0: fabulous guest speakers. And we're even going to finish with an optional Kayleigh. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. .com slash T-U-R-B-O 24. The number's 2-4. I hope you'll check it out, view all the details there, and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July on with the episode vibrant vibrant, vibrant vibrant music teaching proven and practical tips strategies and ideas for music, music teachers this is episode 72 of the vibrant music teaching podcast i'm nicola canton and this is the first episode in a series about the essential ingredients of well-balanced music lessons Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome back for another episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. And if this is your first time joining me, you're starting on a great episode because this is the first episode in a particular series that I've decided to do leading up to the end of 2019. Of course, the content is relevant no matter when you're listening because piano pedagogy doesn't change that much. So I hope you'll listen through the full series and you might even be able to binge listen if you're listening back later. This series is all about avoiding overwhelm, essentially, but from a slightly different perspective than anything I've talked about before. One of the benefits of having our wonderful, amazing online teaching community that's full of passionate teachers and great blogs and podcasts and all of this stuff, one of the benefits of that is that you have access to ideas, information, and inspiration like you never did before. When I started teaching about 15 years ago, I didn't have any of this. The internet barely existed, and I didn't have access to all of this stuff. I had no idea how to get support, even if it was available. It didn't seem like it was to me. I didn't know where to get new ideas when I was stuck with a student. And I had no way to find out about new ideas if I didn't know they were out there. Do you know what I mean? If I didn't know what I was looking for, I definitely couldn't find it. Whereas now we have access to all these wonderful sources of information and inspiration, where we can look at what other teachers are doing and take inspiration from that to use within our own teaching. And I believe this is a big reason why the idea of including improvisation in lessons or teaching students to compose or teaching through games or just breaking out of the mold a little bit and teaching some pop songs, why that's starting to gain traction. I know there are many teachers who still have yet to jump on our particular bus, but they're starting to jump on more and more all the time, are starting to include more diverse aspects of music. It's not just about teaching music reading and traditional classical repertoire anymore. It can be about that, and if you only do that, that's fine too but we're open to so much more, so many more possibilities that we can show to our students and let them have access to. That all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it is. I love it. I love being part of this online community. I love running the blog and sharing my ideas with you and running this podcast and the membership side and everything I do to move the industry in new directions and help bring different parts of music together, different sides of music teaching together. But the drawback of this is something I'm very aware of. And that is that many teachers are feeling overwhelmed because there's so many options. You have access to ideas and information and inspiration all the time, every day. So how can you put all of that stuff into action? And how can you avoid just going back to the same thing you were doing before because you can't handle the amount of information there is out there? For many teachers All of these blogs and Pinterest searches and all of this is actually leading not just to overwhelm, but to a feeling of being inadequate or feeling like an imposter. You may have heard of imposter syndrome. I've talked about it here before. It's this idea that you're just not good enough, that you're a fake, that you're a phony, that everyone else knows what they're doing and is able to balance all this stuff beautifully. And you can't. Okay that's obviously not true. And if we talk to ourselves honestly, we can figure out that it's not true. Everyone isn't doing all the things all the time. That's not possible. People are trying one thing at a time, but we're looking at what so many different people are doing and taking it as one big glob of information that we need to digest and put into practice in our lessons. And it's impossible. So then we get overwhelmed. We don't do anything. We don't take action. We don't feel like we're doing enough, even if we are taking actions. And all of this negative self-talk, essentially, leads to us being burned out to one degree or another. And if you're feeling burned out or overwhelmed or struggling to take action because there's just too much stuff, that's bad for your students. And you getting completely burned out and quitting teaching or... Going back to what you were doing before, that's definitely bad for your te- student. Because what you're doing is you're taking one of the best teachers, you, the person who was looking up all these ideas and so passionate about improving what they were doing in their teaching, you're taking that fantastic teacher and you're putting them on the sidelines. And that's bad for music education in general and definitely bad for your students. So, what I'm aiming to do with this seven week series is categorize some of this stuff, basically. If you've known me for a while, you know that I'm pretty organized. I like organization. I like systems. And so over the next six weeks, I'm going to share the top six categories of stuff we're supposed to fit into our lessons. to put it plainly. Six different elements, one element per week that we're supposed to include. I'm going to share a little bit about why it's important to include that element and how to do it. And then in the final week of this series, before we take our Christmas break, I'm going to share how we put this together, right? That's the golden egg, isn't it? That's the thing we need. How do we fit all this stuff together? But first, we have to make it into six digestible categories. So it's not just all these individual items that are impossible to keep track of, but six main categories, what they are, how we're going to teach them, And then in the end, how we're going to push them together so that they actually fit in your lesson and in your weeks and in your months and in your years with your students. Okay? Sound good? Okay, I hope you're excited. I'm excited to get started. We're starting today with the obvious one. Or the obvious one for most of us, or the default, which is music reading. Music reading is very important to teach to our students. For many reasons. And most of us are already teaching music reading to most of our students. Like I said, it's the default. It's probably what we spent most of our own lessons doing, was working on reading skills. And it's what a lot of people are referring to when they talk about traditional music lessons. When they talk about learning an instrument, they often just mean learning to read music at that instrument. And that's not the only thing, as we'll discuss over the coming weeks but it is an important one. And with stuff like this that's become a default, that's become just what we do, I like to step back and say, why? Do we have a good reason for this? What is it so that we can communicate it more clearly to parents and to ourselves and understand it better in our planning? Why are we doing this? So why do we teach music reading? Well, I believe that literacy, music literacy, or any literacy breeds independence, right? Just like with reading your own native language, if you can read, it means you can go out and source information by yourself. Now, with music, that means you can pick up something that you don't know what it sounds like and play it and discover what it sounds like. Or if you get, you know, to a certain level, you can audiate it and you don't even have to play it. But let's talk about the basic level. You can pick up a piece of music and turn it into sound that's pretty magical. And it gives you access to so much independent learning. And one of the things we want to do as teachers is eventually become obsolete to each of our students. We want to get them to a level where they can enjoy music, whatever that ends up meaning to them, whether it's sight reading on a Sunday afternoon or whether it's improvising in their chosen style. We want to get them to a stage where they can do that independently of us. And when they quit lessons, when they leave, they're not going to quit playing music or understanding music or singing or whatever they're doing, whatever it ends up meaning to them. So music reading is a big way where students can be independent in their music making and can take music into the rest of their life. It's not the only way but it is a very good way. Reading music also leads to greater understanding of music more generally. So Without reading music, you can absolutely understand all of music theory. Music theory is not just notation, is it? But when you have a system of notation, it's much more easy to understand these things. It's much simpler to understand what a chord is or how chord inversions work in a really comprehensive way if you can read the notation and look at it. You absolutely can do that without. You can do SATB improvisations without ever being able to read music, but it will be harder, won't it? So it leads to a greater understanding of music more generally. Music reading also allows students to notate their own music, or it should. It can lead to composition. And if that ends up being the thing for your student, you want them to be able to notate their compositions so that they can. Give them to others, sell them, remember them for themselves, right? So that's just a little bit about why music reading is important. And I know you probably thought it was important anyway, but I feel it's important to articulate why these things matter so that we can understand it better ourselves. And like I say, so that you can have these discussions with people you need to have them with. You know, when you haven't thought things through, when it's just instinct, you can't advocate for this stuff to piano parents to whoever it comes up with, right? You need to be able to talk about this stuff and know why it's important to you so that you can plan effectively. Okay, so that's reading. What does it mean to teach reading though? The old paradigm, (laughs) the one I went through, is here is this note. Great, now you can play that note. Here's the next note. Okay, you can play that one. Here's the next one and so on. That's pretty much how I was introduced to music reading, using a typical middle C position method that went, here's C, here's B, here's D, and branched out that way until eventually they gave up on that system and showed you the whole thing, (laughs) opened the whole can of worms and just said, here are all the notes, here are a bunch of mnemonics, try and play stuff. I don't believe that's the most effective. It got me there, but it also made a lot of students quit, let's be honest. I was the lucky one who broke through the strange system. So, that's not what music reading is. We do need to teach note names, but we need to teach much more besides that in order to teach students to be effective music readers. We need to teach them intervals and pattern recognition, crucially, very early on. I believe we should do that before we introduce most notes and their name, because note names don't matter, for the most part. And their names definitely don't matter, do they? They're just a way of identifying where they are on the keyboard. So I believe in teaching intervals first, a couple of notes, and then going from there and gradually introducing note names. Those are the two most basic aspects we need to teach. We also need to teach students about terms and symbols. And this is an interesting one because technically this doesn't stop them from being independent. It would be hard for students to independently read music if they didn't understand intervals, and it does really take a teacher to teach that for most students of any age. To really understand the intervallic system and how the staff works, they need a teacher to do that. To know what a term or symbol means, they don't. They can Google F in music, find out that it means forte, which means loud. They don't actually need us to do that. They don't have to know those things, but they do. They need a basic level of terms and symbols so that they're not constantly tripped up by them and having to go to Google and look them up or even, you know, voice search or whatever quick and easy system in the future. Maybe it'll be instantly planted into your brain, but you still have to go look for it no matter what sci-fi universe we're living in. So they need to know a certain base level of terms and symbols. And that's one of the areas where, for me, games really come into their own because there are a whole bunch of them and as a new student as they go through studies it gets to be more and more and more and they need to know what each of these means and possibly also what they're called right. From there they also need to understand things like key signatures and from key signatures or before key signatures depending on how you teach they need to understand bigger patterns that are involved in the in the different keys such as chords and scales that make up These keys and how they are structured. So, they need to be able to recognize those in the music. They also need to have an understanding of them in order to play the music well, especially if they're going to sight read it. We have to be able to chunk stuff up, right? Playing a teacher duet accompaniment part is the easiest thing in the world to me because it's just a couple of chords in different configurations almost every time. And I can see it as that. I can see the arpeggiated pattern or the alberti bass or the chords or the vamping or whatever it is i can see that as a pattern that's just what it is a student can't see that they're all individual notes or a student in the beginning can't. and to be able to read effectively and independently they need to be able to identify those patterns as well so that's what it means to teach reading to me it's this building up of patterns along with some names and definitions quote-unquote like terms and symbols and note names Now, in order to become effective readers, of course, they have to do lots and lots and lots of reading. This is one of the reasons why I don't advocate for exams every single year for my students. Most of them, that doesn't suit what we're trying to do because I want them to be great readers and explore other stuff. And if they do an exam every year, that will slow down that process. Whereas if they do one every few years, that can actually speed things up. That's a subject for another day, obviously, but the main thing is that students are reading a lot of material, getting through a lot of pieces, because otherwise they just can't develop that skill. This is how they get better, again, at reading their native language. They read a lot. That's how you do it. That's why there's always this push to get kids involved in reading and to have lots of books around the house, because the more they read, the better they'll get at reading. And it's the same with music. That is our first essential element of great music teaching, holistic music teaching. Next week, we're going to talk about oral work, and I hope you'll come back for that one. I just wanted to remind the Vibrant Music Teaching members listening before I let you go, that if you are feeling overwhelmed, if there is too much going on, if you need help planning this stuff, or you need some insight into one of your students, or into the business stuff, that you can organize a strategy session with me, one-on-one, We'll get together on a video call. We'll talk through whatever it is that you need help with at the moment. And then the video will be posted inside the video library so that all other members can benefit from the advice as well. If you want to book that, um, you can just head to the site and click on the strategy session tab in the top menu. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss oral work. Bye for now. If you want access to tons of wonderful resources that are of high quality and that help you fit all of the different pieces of music teaching together, then you want to become a Vibrant Music Teaching member. Head to vmt.ninja and sign up today.